This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for Sunday, April 3rd, 2016. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. The message is by Father Ron Baird. In today's Gospel lesson, we have the first actual appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. Last Sunday, if you remember, on Easter Sunday, we always just have an empty tomb. Um, but now we come to the, that night of Easter Sunday where he appears first to his disciples, and then a second Sunday, um, which would be the second Sunday of Easter, um, where he appeal, appears to Thomas. Now, most of the time the sermons focus on Thomas on the Sunday because second Sunday is always Thomas Sunday. Where you do that, but I have to tell you, after 30 years of preaching about Thomas, I'm getting tired of it because uh, <laughs> it's every year. So, so I'm going to do something different um, than that, and I want to focus more on the first half of, of the gospel, the first appearance, which tends to not be preached on as much. It's an interesting story because here they are, they're in, in the upper room where they had celebrated the Lord's Supper, and the doors are locked, the windows are all shut because they're terrified that somebody's going to come and do something similar to them, and all of a sudden, in the midst of them, Jesus just appears, and he says, Shalom. That would be a little startling if you think about it. Um, but he just appears in the midst of them. But not only that, but he appears with a physical body. You know, it's, he's not a ghost. You know, he, he actually has, and not only does he have a physical body, but it still has the same wounds it had when he was crucified. They're still there, but they're not, they don't affect him any. And so he, he does another thing in that that is very interesting. It says, he breathed on them. Now, you got to picture this. You know, Jesus appears in the middle of a room, and all of a sudden he's going, (laughs) that'd be a little strange, wouldn't it? (laughs) What's that all about? Why is he breathing on him? Well, if you look at the Old Testament, in the beginning, when God moved over the face of the waters, it says the spirit or the breath of God moved over the face of the waters. When he created Adam, in order for him to have life, he breathed into him. You know, Elijah with the widow's son uh, breathes life back into the, the son after he had died. Um, we, in Ezekiel, when he's in the valley of dry bones, is told to prophesy to the wind. Prophesy to the wind that I will breathe upon these bones and they will live. And, and they do. You know, they come alive. This whole idea of, of breathing on things is such a significant uh, part of our tradition. And um, even the word for breath in Hebrew, is, is, which is ruach, can also be translated as wind or as um, a spirit, either one. And part of it is because life itself is sort of associated with breathing. I mean, even us, when we see somebody collapse, first thing, are they breathing? You know, <laughs> we want to see if they're still breathing or not because it, it indicates life. And even in our Eucharist, when I'm celebrating the Eucharist, and I don't know if you all can tell that from out there, but when I celebrate the Eucharist, I do the words of institution, which are on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. But at the end of it, um, I lean over. And what I'm doing is I'm making a triangle, which is a sign of the Trinity, and I breathe on the bread. And then I do the same with the cup. Now, don't worry if I have a cold, I don't breathe very hard. So. But... But, but it's, and, and what it is, it's to invoke the presence of the Spirit so that this wine and this bread may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This breathing is significant. 
Well, Jesus then goes on to say something really interesting because he says to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. It's like, whoa, that's pretty serious, isn't it? You know, I thought only priests could forgive the sins of any. Now, some churches would say, well, they were priests. They were the apostles. and those were, But actually, it doesn't say that it was only the 12 gathered in the upper room when he did that either. But it, priests do have a special charism to forgive sins, pronounce absolution, but not so much that, that we forgive sins, um, because I don't forgive you your sins. God forgives you your sins. Um, but because I've been ordained and, and trained, I'm supposed to be trained to be able to recognize true repentance and to be able to pronounce absolution to, uh, that God has already freely given on the cross to those who are truly penitent. Um, and the reason why only priests can do that, by the way, is because um, they can do something to us. I don't know if you thought about it, but as a lay person, there's very little they can do to you um, if you don't obey the rules. They can do a lot to me. They can defrock me. I mean, they, they can do all kinds of things. They can kick me out of the church. I mean, all kinds of stuff. They can take away my livelihood. But, but I'm, because that's why they call it holy orders. We're under orders of a bishop. But for lay people, I mean, it's sort of like saying, well, for lay people, the only choice they have with you all is to excommunicate you, which would essentially uh, condemn you to hell forever. Um, and so it's sort of like if all of our laws said that you either let them go or you sentence them to death. You know, for jaywalking or something. I mean, that wouldn't happen. So priests have a, an extra responsibility to declare God's pardon to the congregation um, in, a, in a special way so that God's people can also receive the assurance of that pardon. But the real forgiveness has already been done. It's been done on the cross where Jesus died on the cross and forgave everyone their sins. Um, now, here's the thing is that does it do you any good if you don't want it? I mean, he can forgive you, but if, I mean, if, if you say, well, big deal, who cares? <laughs> then what good did it do you? But even more so, I would suggest to you that the, the role of the laity in forgiving sins is much, much greater than the role of clergy. Because the role of the laity in forgiving sins is about being sent. Because if you look back, the immediate phrase for that was that, even as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And that's what later you're called to do, is to be sent forth to tell people the good news of God's love and forgiveness that happened on the cross, so that they too can experience the forgiveness of sins and new life that never ends. And that's the primary job of the laity. A lot of people think lay ministry is when you read the gospel or you know, when you read a lesson or, or help with a chalice or something. But that's not really lay ministry. The real lay ministry, I mean, it's a lay ministry, but it's not the lay ministry. The primary ministry of the laity is to proclaim the good news of God to the world. And somehow or other in, in the Western world, we've gotten this all turned upside down. We seem to think that to proclaim the good news is what preachers do. And what lay people do is they consume it. You know? And if you're a good preacher, then you get a lot of consumers. If you're a bad preacher, you don't get too many. Um, but that's not what it's about at all. Really, the, the, the true evangelists of the church are the lay people. Because think about it. In the Anglican Church in North America, we have probably about 2,000 priests altogether. There's about 100,000 lay people. Who do you think could reach more people? And, and, and it's even more so when you think about the fact that um, for clergy, most of the people I meet are in the church. 
they're already Christians because what do I do? I go to church and I go to church meetings. I mean, that's primarily my life. Now, there's some bivocational priests who actually are out in the world more. And, and to say that doesn't excuse priests from their ministry because we're always lay people, regardless of whether we're ordained or not. Um, we're just lay people who have been ordained. So we also have that call to evangelize. But the number of people that we might meet is limited um, who haven't already heard the good news. But for you, you have all kinds of people that you encounter on a daily basis that may have never heard that. And, and the essence of it is, is that if you forgive their sins, they are forgiven them because Christ has already done it. But if you retain their sins, they are retained. That's a lot of power. So you might say, well, does that mean that if I get mad and don't like them, I can retain their sins and they're in trouble? No, not exactly. Um, what it means is that the people that you share the, God, the good news with who accept Christ, their sins are forgiven. To those that you decide, no, I can't talk about that with them, their sins are retained. That's the responsibility of the lay people. And we've seen the impact of it in the West. You know, as time goes on and as we become more and more focused on clergy doing all this, you know, Billy Graham, God bless his heart, has done a lot of good, but he he also relieved a whole lot of lay people feeling any need to do anything because they're not Billy Graham. Um, but, but the reality is, is 